0: Hey, it's Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice, and you're about to listen to an audio version of an interview I've done on my streamcast on Twitch. Now, if you'd like to see the video along with it, you can find it in the links below, or you can just go to my YouTube channel, Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice. Hope you enjoy. Uh, we've it. we've started the interview, by the way. I, I don't have oh, any good. big ramp up, that's James Patrick Stewart, everybody. This isn't even live. About our kids. Yeah, this isn't even live. Now I we'll, we'll talk about anything you want.
1: But we could talk about knee replacement
0: surgery. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> talk about <what? laughs> knee replacement surgery. I'm all there for it. Yeah.
1: And no. <laughs> <laughs> although although I must say I'm amazed. The guy I was I use, I've been backpacking with for years was has been complaining about his knee and uh, he was taking painkillers like it like it was gorp. Yeah. Just wolfing him down. And he finally got himself a new knee and he went went up Kilimanjaro six months later. So oh, although I don't need a new knee, let that be a lesson to all of us. But what were we what were we, we were talking about?
0: When, well I was asking you, uh, like you have two sons, correct? Yeah, yeah. And you're done. You've shut it down.
1: Hell yes. Yeah, that's so did man. I.
0: Yeah, we're yeah. we're we're in our fifties here. Or less no, I don't know. We're talking
1: about we're gonna be talking about
0: vasectomies. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's all right. That ship has sailed, my friend. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that one sailed at let's, here's my vasectomy story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, when my wife was pregnant with our second child and when you got past the 13 week, when you know, okay, the, the fetus is doing fine and, and you're past that window where things can go wrong. It's like, okay, this should go well. You can start telling people that you're expecting your second child. And mm-hmm. that's when I had the talk with my wife and we said, look, we're, we're not getting any younger. We'd like to shut this down at two. And her, uh, her doctor said, okay, well, there are two ways to do it. You can She can have the, uh, the procedure done, or you can have it done for you, and it's a little bit safer if the guy doesn't. And I thought, my wife's already been through one C-section. Time for me to step into this pitch and take one for the team. So yeah, go. I gather up my son, and he's at that age where you're still carrying him around in basically a bucket, you know, the car seat, because he was not even one. It was maybe, he, he was a little older than one. I walk into my doctor's office and I just had asked for an appointment and I sat down and I put my kid down in the corner and he comes in, he says, what can I do for you? And I said, I need to schedule a vasectomy. <laughs> and the first thing he did was immediately look over at my son. It, wasn't, it was just this reflex as as if to say, Is he that much of a problem? (laughs) (laughs) These aren't retroactive, you know. (laughs) You have to keep this one. This one stays. And and so, yeah, he he set me up and I said, how much does it cost, by the way? And he goes, less than college.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet those guys have all the good jokes.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we took care of business there. And uh, as I say, the surge worked and we've called the troops home.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There were a few of us, as as I recall, back in the days when we were auditioning at CESD, when we were still going in there and auditioning, who did that. I'm pretty sure that they should remain nameless. And I remember comparing war stories. (laughs) Nobody was running any marathons for a few months. No, it was, uh,
0: let's put it this way the walk out to the car after the procedure, I thought, God, this this would be the worst time for me to get mugged because I would just give them everything. There'd be no resistance whatsoever. Yeah. Take it all
1: take it all I always thought it would be a really good way to get a lot of sex to just not tell your wife that you had a vasectomy and just pretend you were trying to have another child
0: <laughs> I feel really good about this one honey come on now let's
1: this yeah I don't know what's going on. for sure this time for sure yeah this time.
0: the stars are aligned uh, you know yeah the, the...
1: <laughs> what, what's good now though is we got the you know the kids they're they're almost done they're they're extremely self-sufficient you know grandma's is... right. My oldest has got a job
0: and okay, you know, so he's 16.
1: He's, he's 18.
0: Okay. So your kids are 18 and what? 14 and 14. Oh, the 14
1: year old is like a, he and I are separated at birth. We have attention issues. So I'm not looking forward to him driving. He's definitely, you know, it, that's, that's a, an Good accident. Time's
0: coming accident. Buy your helmets yeah. now.
1: Yeah. Cause I was in my first accident. I was like 16 years old. I was driving in San Francisco. It's like, Whoa, you know, Bam! So I'm, um, you know, I know that's coming. But,
0: so uh, eighteen and fourteen. Now I have see I've come at this a uh, uh, slightly different angle. My older brother. I have three brothers. My oldest brother is fifty four now, and he has twin boys that I believe are ten. And I have a seven and a nine year old. And my older brother, who is fifty three, has a twenty nine and a twenty five year old so he had them really young and um he told me that they're going to be your best friends until they're about 12 then they don't want to know you until they're about 18 and then they start to warm up to you again so that's nice
1: to know that's nice to know yeah my oldest has a he has a voice that he does whenever he needs money (laughs) it's just just like he'll be a lousy card player you can you can just tell he's pretty much the only time he's ever agreeable that's not true he's coming out of the clouds there's a lot of chemicals involved and you're you'll see you know there's a lot of chemicals a lot of hormones and excuse me there's just um so i wouldn't want to go through that and what's fun too is is to be in quarantine you know in each other's faces constantly now we're lucky we, we we live down in uh palace verdes and my mother has a place out in palm springs and she lives in england so we can use that place whenever oh, that's we that's nice we run out of tolerance we can get yeah. away to La Quinta, you know we live not too far from Dee bradley actually we're okay at whole foods and best buy all the time all right nice but, but uh, uh um did you by the
0: way see him on the mandalorian as the mama frog no, that's a show that I have to get caught up on because oh. I. you would think with a pandemic, you just have all this time to right. catch up on binging things. But my kids are homeschool age. And so, so we are, I mean, I guess every kid is now. Yeah. And my wife is kind of in charge of that, but I still like to be around. And then I've got some regular records and auditions that I have to do. And then with the stream I do, it's two days a week, but I still find that my... What my wife and I end up getting for ourselves is two hours in between the time the kids go to bed and we go to bed. That's it. Yeah. Two yeah. hours a night. And yeah. uh, we don't exactly just immediately run to the TV and turn things on. So Sure. I'm it's, missing it nice out.
1: To, it was nice to see a little a modicum of affection between you and your wife at the very top of this, by the way, because you could very easily, you know, you, you and I both know that there's, that there's those moments after long school weeks where you look at each other and they're like, yeah,
0: what do you want? Yeah. And believe me, I, I have worked so hard at this. In fact, you were one of the first people I knew to meet my wife because I met her in 2008 and... um after just a couple of dates, I said, look, I'm going into my office for an audition. You want to come along? She said, sure. She couldn't believe that somebody did what I did for a living. She yeah, it's is remarkable,
1: isn't
0: it? Yeah, that somebody could sit on the couch for as long as I did and have disposable income. Mm-hmm. And, I, <laughs> and I said, oh, welcome to the world of the unbelievable because you, yeah. it's just not fair. But we come in, <laughs> you're outside with Quentin Flynn having a bite at the cafe. And you guys met her. And then later, I think you said, what was she like, 25? I said, no, she's, she's actually six months older than me. And, you know, you guys had the same reaction I did. I thought she was someone in her late 20s when I yeah. approached her. And that, which makes me sound like a creepy old man. But the girlfriend I had had before was about 12 years younger than me. And I wasn't really thinking one way or the other. I just thought, oh, I, I like the cut of her jib. Let me talk her up. And things went from there. And um, she started meeting like some of my voiceover acting compadres, and realized, oh, these are the people that aren't you know completely run down by the corporate anvil, that you know are relatively free spirits. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I'm always happy that that this is the tribe that I've stayed in. It is it is an interesting segue
1: uh, into how one would get into a business like this, because for for me you know, um, there was this sort of moment where I left the folks that were going nowhere fast, drinking yeah. doing drugs uh can't figure out why they're just not getting a call back that, that there was there was that there was that period there where and then one of them i remember one of them i think uh, I, his name was well, i don't want to name any names from the circles i used to hang out with but but you know oh i, I got to run and and in in the um in the in the early 90s you were still able to run and do a, a like a, a voiceover right that was going to pay it was for like hidden valley ranch and he'd come okay. back and he'd be i just made twenty five thousand dollars you know and you're just like,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: holy cow! You know, in those days, I'm like waiting tables at Earth Wind and Flower on Wilshire Boulevard, and uh-huh. i thought, how do I, how do I get involved with that? And you, you know, suddenly getting it when I got a chance to sort of hang with you and Fred Tattershore and Quentin and Nolan and yeah. people who are just really demonstrating a level of uh capability. I remember the first time I heard you, and the first time I heard uh, Fred Tattishore, I I showed up there. <laughs> I broke all the rules. I think I opened with a Sean Connery impression. You yeah. should have just shown me the back door. Immediately. No,
0: but as you learn, Connery was our way of just passing the time. I mean, yeah, yeah it, that's just what we did. But yeah, and
1: for us, it, yeah, Sean Connery, Michael, Michael McDonald. But 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 I remember the first time I heard you read through the door. I, I was I, you know I'm lucky that I had a couple of jobs by that point because I probably would have jumped right back on the bus yeah, to I'd, to Nebraska. Believe yeah, I mean, me.
0: I, that's what Fred Tattashore did to me. You know, I would go, but I can't do that stuff. It's like, yeah. you don't have to, it'll be okay. I remember there was a time when I had to do a
1: Shrek uh, audition for like blockbuster video. That's uh, how far back that goes. Right. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I remember thinking, I'm going to nail this. I am going to just going to, this going to out of the ballpark. Part. Right, and I heard Tadashore do it, and I thought, "Why would I even bother? Why would I even?" bother? I
0: get that a lot. <laughs> I've I used to step into the booth and I'd read something. I go, "Tadashore is going to get this." You still want me to read? I'll <laughs> yeah. do it, I but know. unless he gets sick, I'm not going to get.
1: And know. he's so damn humble, and he's also yeah. one of those guys that'll work for scale. son of a bitch. I know. Like, Quentin well, yeah. Tarantino actually. Uh, it's Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Flynn. Yeah, different Quentin. Uh, Quentin Flynn, whom I haven't seen for a while, obviously. Um, um, he, We had an interesting uh, connection that uh, my father was in rock and roll in the 60s. He was part of a group called Chad and Jeremy, and his, his tunes live on even today. And Quentin was a fan. And, One of
0: them was in a show that I'm in, F is for Family. What is it, is a it? summer breeze? Is summer it?
1: song. A summer yeah.
0: song. They, uh, the show F is for families on Netflix and I get to do like random parts for it. It's a, it's a really fun show and it's Bill Burr and it's sort of a semi-autobiographical show, animated show yeah. about a family in the early seventies. Yeah. I think and I know what the show is. In one of the opening episodes, they use Summer Song. Right on. And it's what? a perfect song for the episode. I mean, the song is a few years old by then. Cause that was a hit, what, in the late sixties?
1: Yeah. I think that was sixty five. Since okay
0: his, mid-60s okay it was one of his, it was his
1: it was his first hit and it was his biggest hit yeah you know, he, had, he had four or five top 10 hits i think but he but the summer song was big yeah and was on actually he was on a coors commercial last year i think summer song it was just a bunch of guys golfing and then
0: still out there
1: one of his tunes was in uh once upon a time in hollywood uh quentin tarantino used him so he had a good 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 year but um but anyway, so my father, after Chad and Jeremy broke up, yeah. was in this group called uh, Captain, and their claim to fame was they were in the op- they were the opening band on America's nineteen seventy six tour, where Sister Golden hair, uh, hair hit number one. They were oh, we were on her the time. but I still had this tour jacket, and Quentin okay. was a huge America fan, and uh, I remember just sort of carrying this tour jacket around. I had my dad's name embroidered on the, uh. on the pocket, and I, in a fit of. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but I sort of I guess Dharma. I thought uh, I would just you know, hey Quentin, I got a gift. I got a gift yeah. for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I gave I gave it to Quentin, and Quentin was like, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, trust me. I'm never gonna wear it. I won't, you know, you know, take it." And the next day, he wore it to a session, and the engineer leans in and says, "Where'd you get that jacket?" And Quentin says, this friend of mine, uh, his dad was in the opening band. He goes, I played keyboard in that opening band. I have that jacket, too. Oh, and that's how my dad reconnected with his old keyboard player. Was that's because awesome. Jacket to Quentin. Now, you know, if you go to India, they'd be like, well, yeah, that's the way it works. But in, in, of in Santa Monica, that was a pretty crazy day, actually.
0: Oh, the, the way that people are connected and they continue to work laterally in this business is amazing to me that yeah. I did... Back in, I think around 05, we were on Celebrity Deathmatch when they brought that show back for MTV. Love too. that
1: show. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. I mean, it was we we had a blast doing it. And so this guy sits down and he's voice matching, I guess, one of the English celebrities. I can't remember who it was. Might have been like Simon Cowell or something. Simon Pegg. Yeah, maybe. And at I don't know how it came up, but he was the bassist for Fog Hat. <laughs> he used to play with Fog Hat. Maybe just tour with him. I don't know. And I thought. Are you kidding me? So I'm sitting next to the guy that played, you know, slow ride. And I thought, I love this business. All these little ways that moments from your past that are stuck in your mind, that created moments in your memory. Now you're sitting next to a person that helped create one of those moments. And to me, that's what the dream factory is. That's, That's why I love being out here
1: it's pretty crazy i had a moment because i'm a drummer my dad raised me as a drummer and he raised my brother as a bass player because in the 70s there were no drum boxes and there were no fake basses there you know he needed that he needed his boys to help him write songs and stuff like that so i'm a drummer and i grew up listening to guys like stewart copeland phil collins and when sting left the police he Mm -hmm. was in this group suddenly with these 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 ringer musicians and one of his name is omar hakim Uh and he's a phenomenal drummer and what was so strange was recently my father, you know, my father's getting up there in years and every year I would visit him. He'd say, where's my album? When are you going to give me an album? Where are you going to give me an album? (laughs) And, you know, it doesn't mean much to anybody else, but I recorded an album for my dad, you know, and I, um, I've started recording some other songs recently, thanks to uh, being quarantined. And I actually thought, well, Hey, you know, Omar's probably stuck home too. He may be available. So I sent an email to him along with, one of the songs from my first record called Mr. Give. And he sent me an email back on, man, that's a great song. He goes, your drumming is right in the pocket. And I thought, isn't that funny? I mean, how the hell did that happen? How did I end up in, in, in Omar's face, having him, you know, being willing to play on one of my songs, but not only that, throw me a bone by complimenting my drumming. That's like, how the hell does that happen?
0: That's yeah. one of those things that could only happen when you hit 50.
1: Because yeah. it shows sure hell ain't happening
0: at 24. No, no. And even if it did, would you have the presence of mind to appreciate the moment? I mean, right. good point. I, yeah, because I've, I've heard you tell a story or two around the office about your journey through uh, show business to arrive mm-hmm. where you are now. Mm-hmm. And like being in Pretty Woman as, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, a featured extra pretty much mm-hmm. and, and how it took off from there. and And the ways that you can step wrong in this business and never book another job are countless. And yeah. even if you do everything right, sometimes it still doesn't lead to anything else. I have lots yeah. of friends who had a window of years and then since then they just haven't worked. And you, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just when you were... Starting to book some on-camera stuff. Were you aware that okay, this may not last, or were you thinking, oh, I got all this momentum, this should just keep going, right?
1: That that I think probably by that point I was just so numb from being disappointed that I I, I was no longer walking into a room assuming the worst. I, I okay. I, I I I remember feeling like I am one of those guys that will hit my head on a wall wall until I'm unconscious stand up and continue to hit my head on the wall uh-huh. and so I might as well just go with it and, and I think you know by the time I was 28 29 was when I did Seinfeld uh-huh. and Seinfeld broke and even Jerry that day told me he said this is going to be big for you he says I'm not uh bragging we just have really we have a lot of we have big numbers right and that when the Seinfeld I played the desperado guy uh, uh who had a seizure every time he heard the song desperado and I got to kiss Julie Louis-Dreyfus and I remember going in on that audition It actually the story actually goes a little bit further back I had a moment when I was I had I had been a big shot I, I was making money as a daytime soap opera actor and and then I just kind of blew it and my personal life was in shambles and mm-hmm. I, I I just didn't really have any money left. And I went back to waiting tables at a little place uh, on the west side. And I'm really grateful that they didn't have, uh, you know, TikTok and, and, and Instagram back then because yeah. that would have been even more humiliating. But yeah. but I had a moment when I had this chance to audition, uh, go straight to producers for the show, but I couldn't get my shift covered. And I remember at my time, I was like, oh, you know, and, and in the movies, obviously you take your apron off and you throw it down. right and you just go and in the movies you book it and all of a sudden you live happily ever after and i remember just feeling like damn it i can't leave this guy i can't leave him hanging and uh, uh, i was like i just told my my agent i'm not gonna be able to come in and my agent was <laughs> pulling his hair out he goes are you freaking crazy but the strange <laughs> thing is is that the same casting director brought me in for seinfeld a week later uh. so again dar you know dharma <laughs> there was this weird thing happening and, and I ended up doing the, the, the Seinfeld thing and that opened a bunch of doors. There's yeah. just a lot of auditions I would never have gotten if I hadn't done that show.
0: Yeah, and it, this, I, I have uh, people that will watch that are either fans of, say, voice acting or just acting in general, and some of them are banging their head on that wall and they want to yeah. know, geez, what did you do or what do I do? And Good, Good times, talented people. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, and, uh, Sometimes all I can tell them is you have to love doing this because there is no guarantee, no matter how good you are, there's no guarantee that you'll make it. Now, if you're good, somebody will notice you. Now, that may not be, um, it may not be Steven Spielberg, but somebody 10 or 12 rungs down the ladder is going to become aware of you. And Uh then your journey forward can begin because a lot of people think, oh, well, it's just one big break and you're in. I said, no, yeah. not in general. No, what happens is you go from being completely unknown to perhaps doing really well in an acting class. The teacher likes you and decides to use you for a workshop where maybe somebody in casting will come and see, let me scout some talent. Oh, mm-hmm. now you've impressed that person or maybe you've impressed an agent. You you make these tiny steps up a ladder and if you don't fuck it up, you might continue moving up the ladder where you're you're given... Um, more and more consequential opportunities For to sure. take advantage of. Now, of course, one false move and you can tumble a few steps back down.
1: Looking looking back at your journey, yeah. were there pieces of advice in retrospect that resonated that you go, boy, that guy was right on the money. That yeah. guy, something I would tell my kids.
0: Yeah, I, when I was in stand-up, because I started in stand-up. I mean, I did some acting in college, but stand-up is where I really found my footing. And I ignored this advice constantly because I was good at getting laughs from an audience doing my voices. And I would hear comics tell me those, those voices are great. If you can find a way to be distinctly you in addition to doing the voices so that you're just not a human jukebox, then that's really going to work for you. If you can find a way to get across who you are. And I heard it, but I wasn't really listening. And mm. cut to 10 years later. I'm working as a comic. I'm on the road, but I'm burned out because I don't really know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. I just know I got to keep working. I got to book this week and that week so I can pay rent. And I'm doing okay in the clubs, but I'm not memorable. And if I had thrown caution to the wind when I was 23, when I really didn't have anything to lose and said, I'm going to learn how to be myself and stop trying to give the audience what they want and learn how to be me, and yeah. make that as accessible as possible. Yeah. Maybe I would have made a bigger splash. I don't regret it because I love exactly where I am. Right. So I don't regret it, but I would say those people were absolutely right, and I was wrong to not listen to them.
1: That's mm. so, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, I'm reading Matthew McConaughey's book right now, Green Lights. Okay. And he's ve- he's a very spiritual cat, and he talks about after being 10 years in a row of Mr. Romcom saying. I'm not going to do rom-coms anymore. I called up my agent and said, uh, I I don't want to do these movies anymore. Um, Can you handle that? And he goes, that's fine. He says, well, yeah, but what are you going to tell your bosses at the huge agency we're at? And he goes, I don't work for them. I work for you. And he said, okay. He says, for two years, he didn't work. Two years. Now, at his level, to not do anything for two straight years, he says, that was frightening. But I just didn't want to be that guy anymore. And finally stuff started to trickle in because I became a new idea mm-hmm. and he stuck to his guns, but that he had a lot to lose. I mean, yeah. he saw an offer go from 5 million to 14 and a half million for the exact same amount of work. Cause he kept saying no, but it was a rom-com. And he said,
1: I can't do it. Well, that would have been hard to pass on.
0: And he passed on, <laughs> he yeah. passed on it. But next thing you know, he's in mud magic, Mike Lincoln lawyer, and yeah. then he's winning an Oscar for a Dallas Buyers Club, all because he said, I don't want to do Failure to Launch 2. Yeah. yeah. So listening to here counts for a lot more than people realize. I know it's hard when you're waiting tables at Earth, Wind & Flower. Yeah. And you're thinking, I, I don't have time to listen to this. Yeah. You know, have you reached crossroads like that where you said, no, I just can't in good conscience go and read for a part like this anymore, or I won't do this thing, you know, has that happened with you? Have you reached a crossroads like that at at, at any point?
1: I I think so. And I think it's interesting because right now I'm similar to you. I started out thinking just like most of us do that I would never truly be content until I was I had the worship and adoration of millions and uh, yeah. a trillion dollars in the bank and a right. jet and right. all that stuff. And I think what's beautiful about life is just the sort of the wind and the, the, the rain tends to lower your expectations. And the great thing about that is, is that where I'm at now, which is back on a, a soap opera um, late in the game, I'm, I'm absolutely I love it. I love my boss. I love Mm -hmm. the people I work with. Uh, When I first did it, I didn't pay attention to anybody behind the camera because I was just too in love with myself. Right. And now I I moved to tears by the stories of our crew and their family and their trials and their tribulations and their illnesses. Uh, I adore being part of that family. And uh, so I think for me, it's just this and not only that I, I I bring I bring so much experience I have done I have done so many more than ten thousand hours yeah. uh that i i know how to, i know how to handle this genre i know how to handle that genre and then all all the while the, the the voiceover stuff has continued to go which is really cool because you know a lot of the agents in the voiceover world would be like well if you're not going to be giving us the hidden valley ranch uh why yeah. would we work with you because there ain't a hell of a lot of money unless of course you're you chris <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and i knew you before the simpsons but 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 um... I was doing
0: okay. I was doing okay, <laughs> but I was not. Yeah. The...
1: But it was it was always fun though. No, I, always. It's always, always been, it's always been fun, and I, I lucked out because for me the the first big big thing for me was penguins. Penguins of Madagascar. Oh yeah. Star I ended up, and it was one of those throwaway auditions. It wasn't yeah. one of those ones that I'd spend hours and hours and hours making perfect, and right. every fade was. Perfect. And no, it was just a freaking throwaway is what it was. Yeah. I didn't even remember reading for it, to tell you the truth. And really and how much fun that is. And again, how much laughter there is to be in the same room as John Nemaggio, Jeff yeah. Bennett, Kevin Michael Richardson. I mean, you're you are crying all morning long. So so yes, even though I don't get to have the Matthew McConaughey and you know, I started out in acting class with Mark Ruffalo and Benicio del Toro, and ah. we were all we were all sleeping around in the an acting class getting yelled at by our teacher saying you don't have time to screw around like this. You don't have time to screw around like this. You know, yeah. I, 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 don't think, I don't think I'm any less happy than, than any, anybody else. I think I'm, yeah. I'm very content.
0: Yeah. I think you told me a story once with Benicio del Toro. You said you were broken up about some girl who oh, yeah. was sitting on a curb and you said he pulled up in this car and he basically poured himself out of the car onto yeah. the curb. Yeah. It, it just tossed out some sage words of uh, words of wisdom and just ambled along.
1: Briefly, what he said was, "He, he I was weeping because I had just broken up with a girl that I'd been dating for four years, and at uh, twenty years old, that's
0: huge. That's a lot."
1: And, and I, I'm smoking, and he pulls up in this giant, like, ancient Oldsmobile, and it was just, <laughs> it just, it just rattled and rattled. As far as I know, he still has it from what I've heard. Yeah. And he poured out, and he walks up next to me walking into this new acting class that I just signed up for. So right. that's a good one. Right. And he goes, uh, can I have a cigarette? And uh, I gave him a cigarette. And he takes the profit. He goes, what's wrong? <laughs> and uh, I said, I, I just broke up with a girl. And I'm, I'm, I'm just devastated. I just don't know if I'll ever date another girl. And he goes... Don't give up the pussy. <laughs> and he throws the cigarette down and walks inside. Perfect Benicio moment. Of course. I've had other sense, but not as perfect as that.
0: Of course. And this was, geez, if you were 20, this would have been, what, mid-late 80s? He had just done, yeah, he had just done that. He had done a Bond
1: film where he had, like, uh-huh. a booth. Yeah. I think it might have been the one with Christopher Walken, although I might be wrong. But he didn't have any dialogue. And for my money, he stole the movie. All right. You know, you can make an argument for subtext, yeah. but there are people like Benicio and like Christopher Walken, yeah. who naturally right. you not watch them, right? Yeah. There's, Walken used to live on my block in, in on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh-huh. And I would see him walking down Broadway and you could not stop watching the guy. You, you you knew every thought he had, every time he looked at the magazine, every time he you know, grabbed a piece of fruit, it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Benicio is the same way.
0: I knew an actor, he's retired long since, but he was in a couple of Police Academy movies, and for a while he was in the mix for a lot of things, and he said, I knew this actor who is in All the President's Men, I think it's Stephen Collins, and he says, you meet him in person, he's a beautiful man, it's like an artist constructed him, and he's on screen with Robert Redford, who he's like a foot taller than, and he says, when he's on screen with Robert Redford, you don't even know he's there, you can't stop looking at Redford. Redford yeah. was just yeah. one of those presences. Did and, you ever, see,
1: yeah. did you ever see Pacino in any of his plays, like Chinese Coffee, or any, any, anytime he'd do anything on stage? He, he there was a time when he was going back to stage for, for, uh, for a while there.
0: No, I didn't get a chance to see him on oh. stage. He, again, what's the
1: point? Why, why bother have anybody else on stage? I would never be able to tell you who else was in the show because he was just too fascinating. <laughs> yeah, fascinating.
0: there are people like that, and and this is an interesting acting question too because the the little bit of. Stage acting I did in college was basically to teach me a couple of a, a couple of bits of theory, and you get out there and and I, I I'm of the opinion that most people in in college acting are horrible because they just don't know yet, but there are some that just really nail it and get it. I was not yep. one of those people. I had enthusiasm, but <laughs> my God, you could see every gear turning, you could see every little trick being used, but um when uh. When I started to sort of get away from that and then get into just, you know, a quieter process, I started to realize, yeah, there are guys that have a very obvious process that it doesn't even feel like it's necessarily a real moment. And it doesn't matter. I can never not watch them. There are people that like I love Peter O'Toole. He might be my favorite actor ever. And I don't know if I ever have met or ever will meet someone in my life that ever behaves the way Peter O'Toole does without being hauled off to jail. And yet, I mean, he can give you quiet moments in his movies, but most of the time, most of the time he's like this, he's completely bowling you over in the scene. he's going to run his sentences together, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can't stop watching that guy. And he managed to
1: do the entire career drunk. Yeah, every single. I I saw him, my mother took me to see him in the apple uh, cart at the Royal, Court Theatre in London one time. Susanna York was in it, and 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 it, the the play had a I think it was George Bernard Shaw, and the play had a an energy, it had a pace, uh, and everybody was everybody was at unless it was his line, and then yeah. everybody turned, <laughs> and he was at a complete different pace. Yeah, you just knew he was just blotto He was just three yeah. sheets to the wind, and yeah. yet he knew all his dialogue somehow he got it all
0: out. Yeah. There, I, I, And I'm sure, you know, you're working on, like, I have a, a good friend who is in soaps for a season or two. And he said, the amount of dialogue we'd have to memorize on a daily basis is staggering. Yeah, it's A lot of times you don't even have time to concentrate on a, an acting process. You've got to have a technique that just works because That's right. That's you don't right. have time to sit around and talk about motivations. Like, look, we got a schedule Hit your marks. Let's not have any tech screw ups. You're gonna get one chance to do this, and on we go.
1: Which is, if you can do it, you got yourself a job, right? Because the um, the truth is, is that really talented people, good good actors, mm-hmm. I know, get on that stage, and they have so many words that you just you can. I can see it in their eyes. They're what I call chasing the punctuation. Uh-huh. Just, they are just desperate for that period or that comma. Please God, <laughs> let me make it to that comma. Um, because you you don't have time for more than one take. In the old days, like in the movie Soap Dish, yeah. it was all, it, it would all it would all gear up to the big tape at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, and, and there would be dress rehearsal and there would be notes. It's not like that anymore. There's just not enough money left in the mm-hmm. in the uh, because there just aren't enough viewers. And so we crank that, that out. We I, I see three episodes a day sometimes. It's like a conveyor really? belt. So by the time. You know, if you're the kind of guy that can handle that pressure, Uh deliver the lines. Not only that, don't all just don't look like a deer in the headlights the whole time. Right. Then you you might get be invited back the next day and they might find some stuff for you to do, which is which is proven the case for me. I hadn't done a soap opera in twenty five years and the mere idea of all that dialogue was scaring the hell out of me because i was like i was a soccer i was like a soccer and bleacher dad yeah i was i was 25 pounds heavier than i am now right i was really enjoying life i'm like i guess i'm doing voiceovers yeah the rest of (laughs) and and i'm not going to miss a soccer game and then uh, frank valentini at uh, general hospital said "Do you want to do this and i thought i said no and uh, I said no because I'm an egomaniac and I didn't want yeah. to look like, I didn't want to look bad. I didn't want to look like I went, you know, I had my hat in my hand, I was crawling right. back. Right. And I looked at my wife and I realized I was taking my wife and my children on an ego trip with me. And I yeah. just thought, you know, I should think about them, you know, and, and yeah. uh, that was four years ago. So, so I, 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 it was scary. It's like a muscle. Learning lines like that is like a muscle. I don't know uh, why, but it is. At first, it's scary as hell. And you just, you just rehearse like crazy. I met, I remember reaching out to one of the actors the day before, which you don't usually do. Right. And I just said, I, you know, I haven't done it in a while. Can we run them? And it just, it became familiar. And after a few days of that, it just became fun because one of, part of my technique has always been improvisational subtext. Uh-huh. Somehow a guy named Stephen book taught me a technique. It took about three years. I went back to him. Actually, this was Gosh, this was after Seinfeld after there was after a bunch of sitcom stuff and it looked to me like TV was kind of going away and I just needed to find a new process. And he taught me a way of improvising almost like a second layer of dialogue going on Mm -hmm. and within the text. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of rehearsal to, to feel comfortable enough with the dialogue that you can play around with a melody behind it but mm. but uh it it pays off especially in so especially in soaps because those words believe it or not <laughs> aren't always written like you know like shaw or uh, ibsen no. uh you know they're definitely uh it's sometimes you feel like a machine has written them like uh yeah you know uh i, I once got um are you perturbed about my my pending nuptials? how's that for let please a dialogue <laughs> You're like, did a human that's, being write that? Has did anyone you, ever said that? It, yeah. Like, somebody wrote that and said this would be a good thing to hear James say. Right. I think he would. So yeah. I at I, that day I I just I just said, are you upset that I'm getting married? And I you know nobody said anything. So okay,
0: that's good, <laughs> because because yeah, I, the those writers because uh, I'm the game I'm known for right now is Apex Legends. And there are yeah. a lot of characters in the game. And it's an ongoing game. So they're continuing to deepen the story, the backstories of these characters. And they have several writers. One of them came from the world of soaps. And then he went to the world of wrestling. So he went from soaps. His name's Tom Cassiello. Yeah. 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 So he went from soaps to wrestling. And then he says, this is the first time I've been able to catch my breath. And because he said, as, as hectic as Soaps are, he says, wrestling is a completely different animal in terms of pure adrenaline and volume. And he says, Vince McMahon is standing there as the show is being taped and he's rewriting stuff on the fly. Give him something to do right now for the next whatever. And he's like, okay. And the poor wrestlers, in addition to risking your neck literally, you've got to remember something going out there in front yeah. of all these fans. Yeah. I. I I, I would imagine in that, as in with soaps, if you have a technique that you trust, then they can hand you almost any dialogue. If you know what your character is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then if you have your character down in your technique, fine. Give me anything. I'll make a way for them to say it where it'll make sense and I can give yeah. it to you in one take.
1: Right. And guys without technique who are are doing the best they can to say the words in the right order don't tend to stick around. I mean, it's nothing personal. It's just like it's I think Timothy Oliphant said, you know, your first your first break is luck. Second one's luck. Uh, Third one, you better know what you're doing, because if you suck, you suck. And they have figured it out by now. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, and I, I haven't and seen. I
0: think, yeah, I haven't seen many people get a lot of chances if they haven't yeah. already proven themselves in some way. Like, okay, yeah. it's worth going back to the well for this person because they've shown that they can do it.
1: Yeah. So, I, I I think I think you said. I'm oh, sorry, I interrupted. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I think you said it. You said it earlier. I mean, you, I I um I well, I'm the guy, I'm the guy that would do it if no. It was Jack Lemmon said this to to. to um on a late night talk show one time they asked him advice for a young actor and he said you'd have to be the person that if jesus christ appeared in front of you and said you'll never work you'd you try anyway and i think the advantage of being that type of person is is that you just do whatever you do uh student films you do industrials you do whatever you do you end up doing you know voiceovers you do whatever you can do And eventually you reach a point where you're pretty, you're, you're probably pretty good at some point you've figured out what isn't working and what's working for you. Yeah. And that's definitely the case for me in 2020 on general hospital is a guy who can figure out and deliver the goods quickly Mm -hmm. and uh, you know make choices that I'm not necessarily making choices for them. I'm making choices. So to quote Alec Baldwin, so I get off, I want, I want to get off. I want to, I want to, I want to get mine. I want, yeah. to, I want to sink my teeth into something. I want to tear the furniture up and I want to leave the other person gasping.
0: Yeah. That's, kind of,
1: that's kind of where we're at right now for me, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I also think, and, and I agree that when I was starting out, um, you know, you're, you're figuring yourself out in your teens and in your 20s. But by the time I was done with college, I realized any normal job is a hateful idea to me. It's not going to work. I, right. I'm same thing. I've got a beehive of a brain right. and I've learned how to structure my days so that I can manage that energy. But I had in my life from the time I was about 17 to the time I was about 26, 15 different jobs. So you bounce from one to the next, 15 different day jobs, and they were all just paperweights just to keep things from flying off the table to pay the rent or whatever. It never occurred to me that I would ever do anything else. And I thank my lucky stars that I've been able to make this work because I, I literally cannot imagine how I would have coped with not being able to make ends meet as a performer. I'm sure I would have gotten some kind of day job but um, I, I just, like you said, we're, you become Cortez after a while. You just, you get to the new world and you burn your ships and say, we're not going back. <laughs> so, didn't he kill a bunch of people? Well, the analogy ends there, okay? But it's, yeah.
1: It's good though. I mean, that level of gratitude, because because I can absolutely feel compassion for the guys that I started out with that yeah. were freaking dazzling, that just um, haven't had the level of, of, uh, of of opportunity that I've had and one, the great thing I know about you and Fred and 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 Nolan not only do you deserve it but you're you're unbelievably grateful for the ground on which you stand and the oh, the, yeah. the chance that you get a chance to to you know to do stuff even the 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 podcast same thing when I'm when I'm When I'm hanging up with you, I go back to recording a song that is really, really working and I'm really excited and Omar Hakim is going to be playing the drums on it and my childhood hero. I mean, there's a lot to be grateful for in this life, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not doing something like making that song, you're probably going to feel a hole. You're going to feel a void because you're not doing it for no reason. You, I mean, right. you you don't, we're not at the level where we get to choose every single performance piece that we're going to get paid for. We read right. for the things, if they book us, we go, yeah, all right, I had a good feeling about that. But right. there's going to be a hole because there are other things you'd like to express. So luckily, you've got this foundation of skills and you can say, right. I'm going to go make an album. But even in an
1: audition in those in the days when we used to read, uh, well, no, I mean, even today, in an audition, it's a little performance too, isn't it? Oh yeah. Because you're, you're doing it for you. You're not now. You're not I always do. doing it for them. It's gonna. It's gonna be. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's nice to book a job, but yeah. in that moment, you have a. You, you're doing it for an inner audience. You're, yeah. doing it for, you're doing it for yourself, and I think that that's a, that's an important skill to develop.
0: Yeah. Self sufficiency.
1: Yes. Artistically.
0: I had a director tell me this. He said, I know a lot of voice actors are concerned about the amount of screaming you do in a video game, which is one reason why I don't do very many of them anymore, or at least I don't read from any of them anymore. And he said, remember in the audition, you get to determine how much you're going to yell in that game. If there's an effort, you can decide where your 10 is going to be. Where is your limit? Set it right there. If it's good enough for the director, they'll hire you. And then when you get there on the day, that's as far as you'll have to take it because they've already made up their mind that that's good enough. And if you, if you consider that in more in the abstract, <clears throat> the type of performance you're going to give, they're asking you, they're giving you a breakdown. Here's what we want this character to sound like or to seem like. And you could say to yourself, all right, I'll give them that. It's not what I would normally choose to do, but I'll give them that because I'd like to book the job. Or you could make a choice and say, I don't want to do that, but I want to book this. So I'm going to give them my idea, and so as you say, I'm going to play to my inner audience of one, and I may not book it, but it's going to be gratifying to take control of this audition. And
1: you and I both have, I'm sure, uh, many uh, moments where that that paid that bore fruit, right? I mean, I, the, the moment I'm thinking of is Jag when I, I wanted this job on uh, on J- uh, Jag, uh, and I just read it, and I just thought i don't know why this guy sounds irish to me it's not written <laughs> irish yeah but it sure sounds. and i thought to myself no and i thought yeah and then i so i just i threw on the i threw on the uh, you know the, the english raincoat and i just sort of i just started to turn into locked stuck and smoke <laughs> i went into the audition and i ch- almost chickened out i was in the waiting room and i started going you're crazy laugh you out of that friggin' room of course and as I'm, as I'm chickening out, I look down at a, a magazine on the table there in the waiting room and there's Gary Oldman, who's almost looking at me like going, don't you dare, yeah. out. don't you dare, That you know? And <laughs> I walked in there and the moment I started talking, the, the, the producer's like, no, 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 no. And I said, hey, listen, I've prepped it this way. Just let me try it. And then after that, I'll do it any way you ask. And uh, I, I read as this character that I, I was just really getting off on. And the guy was like this after the first read. He goes, "All right, do the second scene like that. Do the second. <laughs> and not only did I get that part, they actually had me recurring for that season. So that was one of those. Um, who was the guy in Monk? Uh, uh,
0: Tony Shalhoub.
1: Tony Shalhoub. That was yeah, one of those yeah. moments, right? Because in uh-huh. Wings, he was supposed to just be a waiter, right? And he ends up getting like a series regular role because yeah. he just, you know, he just he he was doing something to to, to get off. He, he
0: oh yeah, made- actually. To reference McConaughey's book again, because he takes a lot of chances. I mean, when you see his upbringing, you realize, yeah, this guy, he's, he's a piece of work. He said, um, I i took a break. This was around, uh, like, right around 2000-ish. And um, I shaved my head because I was losing my hair. And he's just very open about this. He said, I was losing my hair, so I thought I'd shave my head. I was hired, I was cast to be in Reign of Fire with Christian Bale. So I decided I was going to shave my head and I grew a beard out. And um, suddenly I get this phone call from a producer. And the producer was somebody who's a major financier of Rain of Fire. And, and it wasn't even a question. It was, you did not shave your head. And he goes, well, no, I, I shaved my head. It's like, no, you made a mistake. You were wearing a bald cap where somebody took a picture of you because there was a picture of him. And you were just playing around and you're growing your hair back, right? And he goes, no, I shaved my head. And he says, a few days later, I get a letter. A letter saying, um, basically, it was a threat. You have, If you do not suddenly remember that you have made a mistake and you were actually wearing a bald cap, then actually things will turn out very badly for this movie and for you. And he said to himself, he says, I'm at a crossroads here. This is a very powerful person that's basically threatening me to grow my hair back or do something other than what I'm doing. And I said, fuck that. He says, I hung out by the pool for a few hours a day for a few days, got it nice and tan, my head, and I put on this nice oil and made it look great. And I went out to a function, an A-list function, where I knew that producer was going to be there, but I didn't walk up to them and talk to them. And I let them see all the women come up to talk to me. And how much they loved my bald head, and then he got a call from that producer. Hey, you know what? That looks great. I love that bald look. <laughs> and so, yeah, imagine having a powerful producer tell you, "You're going to do this, or I'm going to ruin you." And he said, "No, no."
1: That's that's some guts. That's that's putting a plane in the nosedive and trusting yeah. you're gonna. That's for sure.
0: That is absolutely leaning into it. Um, I don't know how often it's worked out for me, me doing whatever I want, because I have to admit, almost every audition I do at this point, I just decide I'm just going to do it the way I feel like doing it. If I like the breakdown, I do it. And, you know, as as you know, we don't book the vast majority of the things we read for. I mean, I'm lucky. uh, You're lucky. They throw so much stuff at us at the agency that I can't. Sometimes I can't read it all. And I just say I'm going to get whatever I get. And so every single thing I book is some kind of a victory because I don't like to prep very much at all. I like to read it and immediately go. So I don't like to overstudy. So anything I get is usually some sort of victory where I say, yes, it was completely off the cuff.
1: That's cool. Let me ask you a technical question. Do you wear the headphones when you read?
0: Always, always. I get, I just got to be able to hear, I need that little bit of monitor where I can hear what I sound like. Um, and it would be interesting. Maybe one of these days, I, I'll say to myself, "Okay, for a month, I'm not going to wear the headphones, and I'll try it.
1: If it's working, it's working. You know, I mean, why, why, you know, why, why mess with it? But for, I, for me, yeah. I, I, I do understand the logic because I am enough of a narcissist to when I hear it, suddenly I start to, hey, like, uh-huh. so, and then all of a sudden, all authenticity disappears, right? Then now all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm not telling any kind of story. I'm just in love with my voice. It it
0: happens. If I read something and I fall in love with my voice, then sometimes I'll say, okay, this character's in love with his voice. I'm going to play it that way. I am totally self-indulgent. As much as a professional courtesy will allow me to be, I'm not going to send in nine takes of the same thing. I, I do one take, maybe a second one if they ask for it or if it's worth trying. But otherwise... I really do try to send them exactly uh, the amount that they're asking for. If I feel like going over it above, I will. And I could not tell you remotely how successful it is when I do it. I just know that as things stand, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I've seen things all the time I would love to have booked, but it went to somebody else and I say, that's fine. I, it helps to be on the greatest show ever. And yeah. to know that you get to be a part of it, and I mean, hopefully, as yeah. long as they're on, they'd like to have me as a part of it. Yeah. So there's a level of security there that allows you to be pretty much as cavalier as you like.
1: I, it's, what's interesting is is that I have a Rob Lizebnik story because Rob oh. uh, was doing a show in. Uh, this was a this was a show back in 1990. Gosh, I want to say 96 even. Okay. Maybe maybe 97. And he it was a it was a show called The Best Years. It was for Fox. Uh, it was the first uh, pilot I'd ever booked, okay. and I, I, once again, I'm uh, I'm I'm 28 years old. I read this part of a violin player, and 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 I, his name is like Austin, and I don't know why. Suddenly, this little imp appears on my shoulder. He goes, "No, his name is Predrag Cipurac. <laughs> He's from Serbia." and I'm like no here we go here we go I can feel it coming I can feel it coming and the next thing you know I like I hire a photographer friend of mine to take pictures of me with a violin that I've rented from a prob house I'm making a deutsche Grammophone cd of right. me and all my great best recordings on and 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 I just you know hey he's uh, having a good time you know I drink many beers you know and I walk into that room and Lee Shalit shamal the director and Rob Lezebnik are just like what the f- <laughs> but by the time it was done they're crying with laughter and the next thing i know they start seeing a bunch of authentically Serba- serbian actors because uh, so, it's like they they can't just bring me in they need to bring in because if they're going to change it they have to bring right Nestor carbonell was one of them okay. and, and and i ended up doing this pilot and i was really excited jenny dundas was on it and then this punk was going to ruin our show Oh, because I, I read this part so funny this part this punk named Ryan Reynolds <laughs> whom, whom nobody knows at that right. point he has a jeep and a boxer and he's living in some he's like living in the, the the Oakwood apartments on Barham and I'll be damned if he didn't when he opened his when he opened his mouth he was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life I mean Dick Van Dyke kind of funny and and uh Rob Lezebnik should get all the credit in the world for finding that guy
0: and yeah, Lizebnik is. He
1: opens with that every every morning. I'm the guy that found Ryan. Of Reynolds. Of course, he,
0: he... yeah. I mean, Lizebnik is one of the writers and producers on The Simpsons. For those of you that don't know, and one of the nicest guys in the world too. And that's another thing is that, um, well, first of all, you're you're one of about a million actors that have had to have their careers momentarily sidetracked by an appearance of Ryan Reynolds at the audition. It's like <laughs> I am feeling pretty good about it. oh fuck me. <laughs> Ah, no, it's good to see you too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um. The the uh. I guess the cliche is you know nice guys finish last and you got to be ruthless to make it in this business. Yes, there are assholes that have made it and there are ruthless people that have made it. But I know more nice people that have made it than I know assholes. Yeah. And Rob is one of the nicest people you could ever meet, and he's done quite well. And yeah. just you know, they just he just happens to be really good at what he does. And and um, there's no reason to think that you can't be one of those people that makes it. If if anyone's watching this thinking, well, I I better start to get my mean face ready. I better be ready to 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 backstab somebody for that opportunity. It's like, hey, look, I'm not saying that that may not pay off for you in some way, but you're going to have to look at yourself in the mirror. You know, you're going to have to. I wonder how
1: many of those how many of those guys, though, stick around. Right. I mean, yeah, you,
0: you make enemies doing that.
1: I'm a notorious name dropper. And I hate to yeah. say this, but I'm gonna drop another one. But like Billy Zane is a guy yeah. that I did a movie with and I I, I, I love the man. Mm-hmm. And he, he is he has such extraordinary humility. Mm-hmm. And um he's just a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And he'll be the first to tell you that he was difficult. He's one of those guys that probably derailed his career at some point because mm-hmm. he just was a real pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And and you realize it like I, I I can't imagine that you, those guys who is this? so great that they could be yeah. a pain in the ass for an entire career? This yeah. is, you know, I, I, sooner or later, you want to be around people like Tom Hanks. Why do you think Tom Hanks won so many Oscars? Because right. people freaking love having him around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and he's also obviously very good.
0: Yeah. He also happens to know how to act. But uh, <laughs> I do have a theory about the Oscars, too, because the Oscars, <coughs> it's, it's a wonderful award. God knows we'd love to have one. But if you think that the best in every category is the one that wins the Oscar every time, you're, you know, it's art. It's very subjective. I've always been convinced that, yeah, sometimes the best really does win the, you know, at least in my own opinion, but I think a lot of it is who do they want to see up there giving that speech? Because when you're winning that award, you're not just representing uh, the idea of the greatest performance. You're representing literally an Academy that says Mm -hmm. we have bestowed upon you this, this honorific, and uh, you're now going to give a speech and you're representing the entire industry for that 45 seconds, that minute, that minute and a half, and for the rest of your life. And yeah, um, sometimes somebody gets up there and I just think to myself, I think everyone really wanted to see them standing there because they just Mm -hmm. like them so much, you know, Mm -hmm. it's happened. I couldn't tell you all the times it has, but... Um, I certainly wouldn't like. You can't look at Tom Hanks's Oscars and say, "Well, he shouldn't have won it that time." It's like, oh, no, yeah. no, it's no. He earned it. He earned it. And yeah, frankly, so. Captain Phillips is on, and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't even think he got nominated for that. Yeah. I thought, how is that possible? He was fucking amazing. In well, that there, movie. I think you
1: reach a point like it didn't. Didn't Meryl Streep reach a point where she she had a couple of dozen nominations or something, and she what? Well, but she has what two? Uh wait, she's, three won, she's I, won
0: three, but she's been nominated, I think, literally 20 times.
1: Yeah, I think it's might be this high as 20, yeah. So yeah, you, yeah there's there's because that's we live, as far as I'm concerned, we live in the age of streep and and you got to do
0: a scene with her.
1: I did, and I got a chance to watch her improvise also. There's clearly uh, she she demonstrated to me <laughs> uh because I did a show uh movie called uh, It's complicated, where I played her plastic surgery. Right. Comes in because she's got a little problem with her eye. And I say, we have to do a a brow lift. Right. I watched her. She was definitely, she had, she knew her dialogue backwards and forwards to the part where, to the point where she was absolutely laser focused on me. Uh Any move I made, she was aware of Uh while also saying her lines. And she could, you could see she was improvising. She was making discoveries and picking something up. Mm-hmm. And while she was delivering the dialogue, and you realize it's like, there you, you know, there are guys like obviously Brando, the, mm-hmm. that's, who famously put his cue cards on, on uh, Duval, or or I think uh,
0: he even maybe even would have had an earpiece if he could have gotten away <clears> with it. Yeah,
1: there are guys, and even then. That is a way of knowing your dialogue backwards and forwards, where you're no longer worrying about saying the yeah. right words in the right order. Yeah. You're absolutely thinking of a melody that is right. something. She had that. She There was clearly a symphony going on yeah. behind every word. and It was different every time. And I was fascinated by that. So, yes, I have worked with her. And I don't know how she doesn't want an Oscar uh, every time.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And was it uh, a case of... I'm going to need a take or two to get over the butterflies before I can really get in the moment? Or was it just, okay, I'm going to be a pro and I'll get there, over
1: it. There was a little bit of both. I, I think I, I had specifically shown up saying, I'm going to treat this like, I'm not going to, I'm not going um, I, I, I'm, I'm to approach her. I'm not going to talk too much. Um, uh-huh. uh, I'll, I won't, Make a lot of eye contact. I'll give her a ton of space. I'll let her come to me if she wants to, and and uh and I just said, you know what? I I, I remember when I was on all my children the first time somebody put an Armani suit on me. I was walking around like this, and and and, and the wardrobe guy comes to me goes, sweetie, 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 says, you got to wear that thing like a pair of jeans because right now that suit is wearing you. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get comfy. And I think- I think it's possible that sometimes things can mean so much that you're like nothing good's right. gonna come from. This. You just whew, deep breath, just let it all go. It'll it w- it'll be what it's gonna be. I learned that from my marriage, from my not my marriage, my wedding. Yeah. I realized it's like I can either try to obsess on all the details or I can just yeah. let it be what it's gonna be, and it was a hell of a lot more fun that way. I think. Yeah. How long are you back? How long have you been married
0: now, Chris? Well, let's see. Uh, ten years. Uh, this April is ten years. We met May thirtieth, two thousand eight. We have like yeah, three different anniversaries. We have May thirtieth is the day that we met. Um, February fourteenth, a year and a half later, I popped the question, and then April seventeenth, ah. we got married. So mm. we have three different dates. I have to remember, Wait a but. Minute
1: got married right after, like a month later?
0: I, I proposed to her February 14th of 2010, and I said, baby, I would marry you tomorrow. But it's up to you as to what kind of wedding you want, because it, you know, to me, the, the fact that we're married is more important than the ceremony. The ceremony yeah. is something that it's, it's a moment that we can treasure, but then there's the rest of our lives. And I don't see the wedding as an omen. I just see it as something that we culturally are going to do. Mm -hmm. She just said, you know, I just want to be able to see the ocean. That's all. If we could do it somewhere, we can see the ocean. And after much going back and forth about what it's like to rent a house in Malibu for a wedding and blah, 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 we found this spot in Pacific Palisades where we used to, we would go to open houses together and just look at places we'd love to live in. And then we'd go to the Gelson's nearby and then we would go and um, we'd get cookies and then we would go sit and look out and look at the ocean. And I thought... Why don't we just get married there?
1: There's Mm -hmm. this
0: part of the street that the city owns, but nobody owns it. It's not private. And so, yeah, we showed up, and Fred Tattashore was our minister because he's an ordained minister. Was he in character? (laughs) I I was hoping. But I I talked to Pat, our agent, Pat Brady. I said, Pat, I must know someone that's a minister without me knowing they're a minister. And she goes, Fred, the Universal Life Church of Modesto. (laughs) This is an online... It's an online church and he is an ordained minister and he's married people before. So yeah, Fred showed up, he married us and then he went back. He he came, he left a convention in Orange County to drive up to do our wedding and then he drove back down. And so yeah, we've been married for 10 years. What I learned and I think maturing makes you better at every single thing you do. I think I got better at acting. I think I got better at life because I just started to try and make myself a better person. And I have noticed that the choices I used to make relationship-wise were about um, excitement and some sort of odd chemistry that I was addicted to, but it never made for good relationships. And when I chose the right girl, when I chose the girl that I knew was going to be my best friend and that I could have chemistry with, it wasn't going to be this crazy volatility that would be exciting. It was going to be a very steady, right. low hum of contentment that does have wonderful moments, but we just, that's our chemistry. And right. as, I've, as I've continued to work and build a career, I've noticed that, oh, you're also living your life while you're doing it. Yeah. And suddenly I have context for when I was younger, working with comedians that had that had wives and kids and mortgages and then working with other guys who were voice actors who also had wives and kids and mortgages. And I thought that's weird. What's it like to not be single and not to do whatever I feel like at any one time. When you get a wife, when you get a partner, when you get kids, when you get a mortgage, yes, you still love acting as much as you've ever loved it, but you are even more so motivated to be a professional because There's more than just you and your ego riding on all of it. Right. right. That's when you said, I don't know if it's right for me to take my wife and kids on an ego trip about doing this soap. You realize uh, my creative choices have far more ramifications than just my ego now. Yeah. And I don't know if people consider what it's like to not just be an artist, but how to be an artist in the real world where you have to create a career, a career, curate a career, learn to manage your finances. So you're suddenly not just being desperate at an audition because you don't have enough money. So there's a whole side to art that David Bowie talked about this, he said, I think musicians and artists need to learn how to be better business people. Mm. And um, one thing I learned from you is that you had a financial planner, an accountant you talked to, it's like you were getting your ducks in a row a long time ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I think ooh, I, ooh. I think artists don't consider that enough. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? There's
1: a lot of stuff that I felt I didn't need to pay attention to early on because I was gonna be an actor and who needs that stuff, right? Right. I mean, think as luck would have it that's the great thing about having having humility forced upon you through failure is is that you're like okay well never again never again i wouldn't want to lose that much money again but at least it'll never it's, it ain't ever going to happen again i'm good i'm good i'm good
0: yeah yeah exactly i remember um william goldman who may he rest in peace great. wrote some wonderful books about hollywood
1: <laughs> read them all
0: yep yeah he wrote and you would you would remember this then he wrote about two guys who were movie stars, but he said, they each had early hits and then for years, absolutely nothing they did hit. And the town kept giving them chances. First of all, because they had had a hit, but second of all, because they looked like movie stars. And he says, the town would look at them and say, it's just not possible that that guy is not a movie star. Let's keep giving them starring roles. Mm -hmm. And it was Mel Gibson and Richard Gere. So in 1981, Mel Gibson as the Road Warrior, he had Mad Max in 79, huge star. And then from 81 to 87, everything he does tanks. And he's the star in everything, and everything he does underperforms. Richard Gere, 81, Officer and a Gentleman, or maybe it was 82, huge star. And then for the next eight years, everything he does bombs. And the town kept looking at him saying, now, we're not going to give up on these guys because you look at Richard Gere, you look at Mel Gibson. Those are movie stars. Those guys are supposed to be movie stars. We're not going to quit. And then Lethal Weapon, Pretty Woman. And they all said, I told you. Yeah. The Pretty Woman thing is interesting because having been, I was,
1: I Gary Marshall was one of the producers on the Dick Van Dyke Show and G- Chad and Jeremy made an appearance on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Oh, nice. And, my father ended up going off and doing his own thing, but my mother stayed in contact with Gary and they were good friends up until he died. And uh he ended up getting me not only a place to live when i first moved to la and started going acting class he said and i'm going to send you over to vitello's talk to steve i'm going to get you a job (laughs) you know you end up waiting tables at uh, vitello's which is where robert blake did not kill his wife okay and uh uh uh, and then you know he says he's well i'm doing a movie you know uh, we'll find something for you to do so he lets me be a bellhop you know right but I was privy, I watched the process. The, the studio knew that they had a star with Julia. They knew that mm-hmm. she was gonna be a big star. Uh, and they just couldn't find the guy. They looked at everybody. The question was, I mean, they were bringing guys in to test and, test and test and test and test. So when Gear finally was locked in, that was a that was a big deal. uh That was a big deal for them. The the meaning the produ- the producers. Right. They were thrilled to finally have uh, have that. I remember when I ended up on the the show. I did three days at the Ambassador Hotel, uh, which is where RFK got shot. Uh-huh. Um, we, we those of us who were, who were a little bit more morbid would go down to the kitchen and spend moments and quiet reflection on the spot but but uh that was that was supposed to be the region of beverly wilshire and the first day i met her i remember thinking she's a stick insect you know she's got great hair but you know she's like this she, you know yeah the she's legs thin
0: yeah
1: super thin mm-hmm. and that's when i learned that the camera does its own thing there's a yep. there's an me, and it's different with everybody mm-hmm. whatever your body geography is the camera is going to do something different and yep on screen. It was undeniable. Yeah. And not only that, she's funny as hell. Yeah. I mean, she was a ball type funny. So
0: yeah. I had a a buddy who was the uh, manager of the executive dining room at Sony for a couple of years. Is it, don't ask me how he got the job. He was, he was my roommate. I knew him from Orlando and he was 10 years older than me and he always was either a bartender or some sort of manager and he would write. And, um, And, you know, so he went down and he just saw the ad and he went and answered it and he got the job. And he says, suddenly I'm surrounded. I'm at Sony and it's not the commissary. It's the executive dining room. So this is where the A-list movie stars come. This is where all the executives come. And this is where there's a dynamic that exists that you only hear about in lore. Like these deals are getting made. These famous people are having, a you know, a tuna salad. And he says, I've only ever felt, and I've seen every star walk through there, I only ever felt like I was in front of a star twice. And once was Sean Connery, and the other was Mel Gibson. He says, those two guys walked in, and you thought, that's undeniable. There's just something about them you just... Yeah, you're right. There's, there's something they have, and the camera picks it up. Because some yeah. people disappear on camera. It's just for whatever reason, the terrain of their face or how they move Maybe works great on stage, on camera. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Who can explain it?
1: I don't know. Charisma. I remember riding my bicycle in Brentwood and and just feeling a force. Something, something pulled my 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 head not only to the right but full back, and I made eye contact with Jim Carrey. Ah. I mean, whatever that whatever that was, it just it got my attention. I I I had no choice. I had to look. That was yeah. that was a, that was a the gravitas as well
0: yeah people forget with him he was in 1982 he had a show called the duck factory he was the star of that show and it ran for like maybe not even a season yeah he played a young cartoonist a young animator wow yeah and i used to watch it he didn't say 82 it was like 82 83 i used to watch that show the duck factory Then cancel. Then he goes back on the road as a comic. And then he opens up for Rodney Dangerfield. He goes to Vegas. He's making good money. He moves his mom and dad out there with him, which he said was a mistake. And before you (laughs) knew it, he says, yeah, I'm making this money and I'm doing it because I'm an impressionist. I'm a mimic. And I thought, I'm tired of being the guy that's waiting for the next star to come along so I can imitate them. So I'm going to throw all that out and I'm going to start improvising my way through my act and create something brand new. And so he gets in a couple of movies, but, you know, for about five years straight, everything goes to shit. And he says, I'm just barely kind of hanging in there. And then he he was completely unknown again. And then, um, basically, uh, in living color and boom, but he already had his first chance at 82, 83. And then he goes back to being unknown again. So those it's, stories to me are the fascinating ones.
1: There's an interesting segue because Ryan Reynolds could very, I don't know that there would be a Ryan Reynolds if there weren't for a Jim Gary, because uh, if you look at Van Wilder, you look at a lot of his early stuff. He's definitely yeah. Gary. Yeah. And I'm reminded of a, of a, 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 a masterclass that, that uh, Michael Caine gave called acting for film, uh, where he says, first of all, he says, steal. He says only steal oh, yeah. from the past, but trust me, they stole it. And yeah. I, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like in voiceovers, right? Everything's, everything's derivative. I mean, you know, yeah. everything is based on something else, right? Yeah. Like Dan Castellano, right? I mean, doing doing uh, Homer Simpson is uh, is, uh, is Walter Matthau, right? I yeah, mean, at right?
0: first he was Walter Matthau, and then oh, it morphed.
1: Nicely, Felix is a friend. Felix is a baby Richard Dribble player, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, well, so, you know, here he is doing Deadpool, but, you know, it all started with Jim Carrey.
0: yeah. And I think Al Pacino, when he was shooting Heat, he was going back to playing a police detective. And he's surrounded by guys who grew up watching Al Pacino movies. And he says, I'm here to study. You know, I'm here, boys. I'm here to study you. I'm here to study how to be a detective. Well, they watched Serpico growing up. Yeah. That's how they learned how to act like a detective. Because they want to be like Serpico. They want to be a detective. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So he was watching people that watched him. That's a, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Exactly. And it's true. No matter what you steal, somebody, you know, they'll tell you, like, where'd you base that character? I think um, Tom Hardy said he based some of his voice for Bane in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. He says that was based on uh, this boxer, I think this uh, British boxer he knew of that he really liked. And so he took some of that. I think it might have even been Welsh, you know, took some of that, took some of something else.
1: I'm doing a show now for Disney called Amphibia where mm-hmm. I play One-Eyed Wally. Uh, and I tell you what, man, it, it, it's just straight up Dudley
0: Moore. I mean- it's, Is it?
1: It's, just, it's, it's it's a completely unapologetic <laughs> steal. Of my favorite moments in Arthur.
0: Okay. And my kids have watched that. So now I've got to watch it and look for the Dudley Moore. But
1: the thing is, is like, well, the thing is, is that, right. The thing is, is that, that's the funny thing is, and I've had this conversation with Fred Tattashore. Even when you think like, 99 out of 100 times, even when you think everyone's going to go, oh, yeah. he's doing Dudley Moore. I'm not that good of a mimic. <laughs> so nobody's going to be, they're going to be like, yeah, no, that's nothing like Dudley Moore. So I'm I'm doing the best I can and nobody else is getting it but me. So screw it. It's, you know, it's, it is, it's one-eyed Wally. It's no longer Dudley. It's one-eyed right. Wally.
0: And they liked what you were doing. So they cast you. So they, yeah. hey, keep doing that. Who's that you're doing? Uh, I'll right. tell you later. We're- the fun thing was, he was very drunk
1: in my read. I was like, and, I love this one. I love, I love. and so, of course, they're like, we love it. Now, not so drunk. <laughs> okay. That was a whole thing I was hanging
0: my hat on, but
1: let's. let's, let's okay. See.
0: Yeah. Let's discover what he's like when he sobers up. Why don't we? Yeah, exactly. A sober Wally. Yeah. Now, well, how much. Now
1: he's definitely too, That would be two eyed Wally. Ben. Yeah.
0: Two eyed <laughs> Wally. Yes. <laughs> Two-eyed cranky Wally because he's hungover. Bright,
1: bright-eyed Wally, yeah. yeah. Okay. Bright- <laughs> once again, the, once again, the committee has whittled away everything authentic.
0: Of course. <laughs> now, how much time do you think you spend doing on-camera as opposed to voice acting? I mean, you're you're still going in to yeah. to record stuff for um, for well, record- General Hospital, right?
1: Right. We video, I do, I, that's a lot, uh, that's a lot of work. That's probably, I probably do two or three days late, uh, lately, and they test us every three days and okay. we're wearing masks all the time. My boss has been excellent about doing that. Frank that's is, good. he's been approached by, by a lot of TV shows to, to teach him how he's done it. You know, and I, luckily, uh, 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 the, the, the the working at home has allowed me to to have a more flexible schedule for the for the voice gigs right so they'll they'll, they'll grab me when they can and but it's definitely the, the general hospital thing that's a lot that's a lot of work that's a lot of taping
0: yeah and you you know you bring some of that home with you because you're just wiped I mean just if, if I had to drive across town to do a job I would tell my wife you're not gonna see me the job is only about an hour but you're not gonna see me for four because yeah. I got to get there. I gotta and, get back.
1: And you know where I live. I live in a part of LA where a lot of people retire to, right? There are people yeah. that look at me and they they go, "I can't believe you're so young to move down there. Why? <laughs> it takes forever to get there. Why would you do that?" And of course, you know, the, it's it's just the quality of life. But yeah, I'm on the freeway an hour each way to, to 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 get to work, which is pretty amazing because I I really was enjoying just showing up to all my kids' ball yeah. games. And all of a sudden, I start booking work in Burbank and Silver Lake of all places.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that would lead you to move closer to it, or have you basically you've created your sanctuary and you're not you're not budging?
1: No, it's great down here. I I remember when when people down here we were looking at houses and stuff, and people down here were saying, "No, it's it's excellent." I thought they're like a bunch of Stepford wives. There's got to be a catch. Why yeah. why does everybody love it? Well, we've been down here six years, and I get it. I mean, I I I I don't know that I want to die in LA. Right. I don't. Frankly, I don't know what. We were we talked about this. There are other yeah. places I might like to investigate before I decide to kick, uh, yeah. kick up days. But but in, in terms of living in Los Angeles, where <laughs> where I'm at is very bucolic, very green, long drive, long streets with old trees. Yeah, uh, it, it, horse you know horses walk by my window. It's um yeah it's kind of perfect for us and we're close.
0: That's good too. It's it's important. There's a great line in Argo where um, Alan Arkin's character is asked by Ben Affleck. It's like you know why don't you have a relationship with your daughters. And he said, I- I've been a producer for a long time and in this business, it's hard to get it off you. And mm-hmm. it," uh, he says, I-, I was too into it and I couldn't get it off me and it tainted my relationships. Mm-hmm. And I always understand, because I've done this too, when somebody moves away from the nexus of this business, I mean, mm-hmm. as it stands, I'm not that far away from the studio where I would do most of my work. Right now, it's all from home. But I feel like it's uh, it's something I want to get away from. And when you m- when you move to a place where there's a different pace, you feel like okay, I'm leaving the dream factory behind, and I'm going to walk into this nice everyday sort of. It would seem mundane to other people, but because we get to do what we get to do, mundane is just fine. Isn't know? that the
1: truth? And, and uh, Dave Chappelle talks about that. How at the end of the day, what's going to save us is community. Yeah. And, uh, if you can get that and where I'm at, yeah, I know everybody at the supermarket. I know everybody, I know everybody by name at the post office. You know, I, I run into people constantly. That's, that's, that heals the, that's, that heals the soul. I, I don't know that. I mean, I don't know that I expected that. I didn't, I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't see that coming, but that really is essential. That showing up for each other and, and, and yeah. being kind and remembering their name and remembering their kid's name, that that's, that's good for, that's good for us. You know, that, yeah. Because it's so, uh, the beginning is all about us. The beginning of the career is all about me and mine. And, and, and yeah, that that that, that isn't uh, something that uh, that nourishes.
0: No, no. And well, it, this is probably something you guys have talked about. And I guess, you know, I, I expect in a couple of years, the pandemic should lift. And uh, it, it- From your mouth to God's ears? Yeah, exactly. As I offer a prayer, as I offer a sacrifice to whatever God you choose yeah, uh, there it is into the ether. I think uh, it'll go in stages. You're already back on a set. You're you're in a you're in a um, basically you're on a sound stage, and if they can make bubble. that work, yeah, you're in a bubble. So that's the that's the first thing that'll go, and then eventually when we're finally going to sporting events all together, and we're not masking and distancing because we no longer have to, then we're all the way back. But this that's a couple of years, I think. Mm-hmm. But by then your sons will be old enough, or like one of them may or may not go off to college, but he may be actually exploring living away from home. Mm-hmm. And you'll have another son that's a couple of years away from that. So you guys will be looking at the prospect of empty nest. Now, of course, you're still going to be doing what you do because you love doing it. But do you start thinking about how you might open your lives up more because you have two people that won't be as immediately reliant on you? Will it, will it change the way you, you approach yeah that, that
1: that's 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 you know that's that's a that's a good point and certainly when the, my kids were the, the the age of your your children yeah. they it that scared the hell out of me because the idea of being separated from these uh essential parts of my life
0: yeah um
1: i couldn't even get my head around that it would make me weep openly uh um but when they're men uh when they're grown up yeah, uh, there's a there's a different rhythm to it, and I think that for me, the pride of watching two uh, grown-ups stand on their feet, find at things that they're aspiring, help them move towards that there's there's a it, it feels right. Yes. And, I, and I think that. Um, the the good news is is that I, I I've chosen a really good mate and I think that we have plenty to do. Uh, to right. uh, get along great. So I think I'm fortunate. But like you said, she knows she doesn't come from show business. Her dad was head of maintenance at United Airlines in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. She, you know, she, she has no she has no frame of reference. So for me, she's just like, well, the kids are grown. Let's get out of Hollywood. You know, it's like
0: uh, <laughs> I have an affliction. I have an affliction. <laughs> yeah. you, you, maybe we haven't talked about this yet, but we should. Daddy needs this. Daddy yeah, we, needs
1: talk, this. Well, we, we talked about this. Now The interesting thing is that I know a place in Dublin where there are recording plenty of recording studios. Mm. I don't know how that would work, um,
0: getting Gary up at
1: 3 in the morning to record.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, we talk about that. Everybody, I, I think, I mean, when, all right, so you're in, you're, you're getting into the business in the 80s. And I'm, I'm thinking about getting into the business and I'm getting into the business in the early 90s. Even then, there's no way we could have, we could have imagined the internet and recording from home and yeah. Twitch and, and Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube. The idea that you could live anywhere and command a larger audience than a studio that spent millions to make a show. There are kids that my kids watch on YouTube that made more than most TV stars last year because of their YouTube that they made in their backyard.
1: Incredible. Yeah.
0: And so what it does is it gives you, well, first of all, I still have people ask me, I live in the middle of bumfuck Egypt and I want to move to LA and I'm thinking, okay, you can, but are you doing it because you want to go through the system? I understand. I can tell you what I know. But if you just want to create and build an audience, you don't have to come here. I mean, if you do come here, it'll be because you get to be around other artists more per square mile. So benefit from that. But the idea that like in your case and in my case, I've gotten more out of this business than I ever thought I would get out of it. And I, I feel like I'm stealing, although I will continue to happily steal as long as they'll let me. But If the day ever comes when I feel like I no longer have to be here and I get to continue to keep ties here, yeah, we've looked at other places too because if you're going to be an artist, where you live has a lot to do with the art you create, what would it be like to live in Dublin? What would it be like to live in Madrid? What would your art become? You know, yeah. the people you meet every day.
1: Once the kids are grown, that's an interesting moment in your life when you can you can do stuff like that. Like, let's let's explore. Let's find a place. Uh, and and if we like it, stay there for a little bit. You know, we, yeah. we, we like Dublin. We like uh, we also love Vancouver. That's that happens. That's might as well be Hollywood, frankly. But yeah, there's
0: so much production there.
1: Yeah, uh, that, so so and not only that it's in the right time zone. So Yeah, exactly. But, but you're right. I mean it's like who to thunk that you could be in a in a world where you just put your headphones on and suddenly you're in Burbank, you know, you've got everybody yeah. you, you need right in your you know or on yeah. screen actually, you know.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, there are people that are going to be watching this that know my stream and they watch from Germany, from Russia, from yeah. Italy, uh from Spain and it's because they, there's a commonality there. There's a game they know me from, but then I've gotten them into some of the conversations I'm having with, with uh, people I know in the industry. And um, it is amazing how many artists there are in the world. You always thought, well, we're probably a relatively small percentage of people. Well, that's before the internet, but yeah. because the only way you'd find them is if you went to a local production of something or they all got on a bus and came out here. Now, yeah. thanks to the Internet, more and more people are realizing, oh, I have something I'd like to say. Yeah. I don't have to get on a plane to go out and learn how to do it. I'm just going to figure it all out here.
1: Yeah.
0: With my camera. So I, it's, I, I know it's changed the way Hollywood has made things because thanks to the Internet, um, a show doesn't have to be 23, 24 minutes long anymore. Even twenty three is long at this point. You know, if you
1: ch- wait till you try to sit your kids down and make them watch a movie you loved. The first time I tried to make my son watch Blade Runner, he was just like, after ten minutes, he's like, I can't. I just can't. I can't do it, Dad.
0: I just can't. What's, what's his What's his movie then? Is there one that's going to be his seminal movie? And you're thinking, uh, I don't get that at all. I don't know that he's ever made it through. Now. <laughs> a full movie no they love the thing you know i think you and i talked about this
1: years ago how the the editing had changed all of a sudden all of a sudden it was so fast just to keep your attention everything i can't i mean i i'll go from three days of the condor to to the avengers and
0: yeah you,
1: you know and i'm i don't mean to sound like a snob but like you know I'm old, so like a Sidney Lamette movie means yeah. something to me, right? I, 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 I'm nourished from that. That means nothing. No, they're not paying attention to character <laughs> development. means nothing to them.
0: Yeah, and, and I do wonder, um, is that what people who grew up in the 50s thought about the stuff we absorbed? And they would say, well, this is not Marty. It's like, well, it's mm-hmm. not trying to be Marty. It's trying to be the parallax view, or it's trying to be yeah. uh, you know, uh, Serpico. But, yeah. Yeah, and we go through this and this is this is where I start to feel my age. I say, okay, I understand. Yeah. He's 9, I'm 51. Um, now, do you make
1: do you make an effort to sit and watch and absorb and see the, the 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 you know, the good stuff in in what they're looking at or or do you just go, you know what? Have at it?
0: I I have sat down and watched a couple of things that they like and yeah. I give it the benefit of the doubt because they're 7 and 9. And so the right. Disney has these movies called The Descendants. And my daughter absolutely loves them. And I'll watch it and I'll see, you know, it's impossible for us to watch a Hollywood movie, especially one that is made specifically as a commercial product and not see the gears turning and not see, oh, I'll bet you this is how the screenwriter pitched it based on this scene or this pivot. You you can't not see the sausage having been made. And I'll sit there and I'll watch these Descendants movies with her and I'll appreciate them. They're not made for me, and I can realize why they hooked her. So I can watch them from that standpoint. I can admire the craft that goes into them. And in the case of my son, what I'm looking for is to see if he's following in my footsteps, and he largely is. He loves deeply silly things.
1: That, But that, the fact that he's a performer, that's... I, 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 yeah. That, is that, I can say that, right? Yo, yeah,
0: absolutely. I, talk, I brag about him all the time.
1: Yeah, that sounds to me like... Uh... Uh, That's a lifer right there. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he
0: may be. He may be.
1: I knew at his age. I definitely knew at his age.
0: Yeah, and I look at what he finds funny. And some things he loves, and I could see, yeah, I was into that. Other things I'm into, and he doesn't quite get them yet. But yet, like, I'll bet you by the time he's maybe 12 or 13, I might be able to sit down and watch Arthur with him. Because that's the age I was when I saw that movie. And the first 10, 15 minutes of Arthur are some of the funniest uh, minutes I've ever seen in a movie and it's all completely politically incorrect now, mm. but it's funny. It's one liner after one liner and it's a guy he's propositioning two prostitutes. Yep. He's yep. taking one of them to a, a five-star restaurant. Yep. He's waking up the next day with a hangover and, and my wife won't watch the movie because she thinks it's sad. Mm. It's like, he's a sad man. I says, I know, <laughs> but he gets better and it's funny. Yeah, wait till
1: she sees Arthur too. That's, I mean, yeah. a, that's really sad. The, the, I tell you, the dialogue—that you know—I really do appreciate good dialogue. Yeah. And that, the dialogue in that movie is just dynamite. Really, just dynamite.
0: It is, and I—I I don't know. Like, I find more of a disconnect with music with them. They'll listen to things that I think is literally noise. I—I I actually don't detect a melody. Somebody's just screaming. I don't get it they love it i'll put on yeah. one of mine and they go oh no and i'm immediately the lame dad there's a bigger disconnect with music than there is with visual media i don't know why that's how it's working out for us so far yeah so
1: no that's true and my kids were your your kids age the music they would listen to just was yeah i mean like something from a video game yeah, I remember, it, or, or, and I'm talking about like a video game from the '80s. I felt like I was listening to space, like the original Space Invaders. Okay, it was, it was that bad. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking, how can you listen to this? This is not yeah. even dance music. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even. At this point, my youngest just watches YouTube because that's uh-huh. about his attention span. Yeah, and and the fact that it's all on demand is yes, just, you know, perfect for him.
0: I don't uh, know what I would have found on YouTube if I had been that age. I mean, all the wrong things, I'm sure.
1: Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. My son and I do have one movie that we share that is, it has become our movie and it is a deeply silly movie, but it's Pixels, Adam Sandler. And this is not, you know, it's a movie that's, it's a really silly movie. It's aimed almost completely at kids. And it's a movie that on my own, I might never have bothered watching except for the nostalgia of the old video games that are in it. My right. son absolutely loved it and I happen to be watching it with him and it is now our perennial movie that, that we will insane. sit on the couch together we will watch it all the way through and it is a bonding experience. And so that's what that movie has become and this is this is the first time I have noticed that a movie can be that for me. <laughs> It's like
1: talking sports, uh, 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 like talking sports in the old days. Now what I got to do is I got to find something that'll connect me with Jocelyn because we just cannot watch the same stuff anymore. Oh really? It's like if I'm not willing to sit down and watch, you know, three episodes of Ninety Day Fiance. Really? (laughs) And then I was like, hey, I discovered this octopus movie. You know, my my teacher, the octopus. She tried it for like five minutes. She's like, "Eh, no, uh."
0: there's no there's no genre you can at least settle on.
1: Not yet. No, no. We're, I mean, and the, the quarantine has really, you know, really brought your shone a light on that, that, you know, at the moment anyway, it's not like we're mm-hmm. both like binging the office. We did actually early on. We binged the same things. Right. We were. But she, like, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've uh-huh. been she, Again, she's like, oh, no, something bad's going to happen to him. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, it's supposed to. Yeah. yeah. And then he's going gonna... <laughs> to hey. part of the fun. It's, it's the formula watch watch how he makes this impossible for himself and then digs it even deeper no, I yeah.
1: Could, I, yeah that's the, that shows the cure for what ails me but the octopus yeah. by the way my teacher the octopus have you seen it yet
0: no I have not
1: you'll never eat octopus again okay I, I did not realize that they were as intelligent as dogs and cats and I know uh, that
0: they and, are they are sinister and in how intelligent they are
1: there, You you realize that in the court, this this documentary filmmaker who is all free diving, he's not, not scuba diving, he's free diving. So he's uh, got to be holding his breath for three minutes at a time to get to know this this octopus over the course of, I think, like a year and a half. Oh, wow. And you literally are watching the intelligence of this animal connect uh, with this human being. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And it's a real tearjerker. I mean, it's a hell of a movie.
0: I have heard stories of octopi in pet stores, you must have heard this.
1: No. In
0: pet stores, when they lock up at night and they go home, the octopus gets out of its tank, goes to where the fish are, gets in, eats a few, gets back into its tank. <laughs> Not surprising. That's pretty amazing. Not, yeah, and and I thought that is that is, that's creepy is what that is. Because right. imagine if you're, the night guy who's cleaning, and you look around like, wasn't there an octopus in there? And you just hear this. Yeah. Flick, flick, flick. It's like I'm gonna. I don't think the place needs to be that clean tonight. I'm gonna <laughs> go. True. I've seen Alien. I don't like the way this is going.
1: Yeah, true.
0: Yeah, the documentary we talked about that is stuck in my head, and I'm gonna watch it again because I think I need to. Is the social dilemma? Yeah, that's the one. I wish required. everybody, yeah. people. I know it's gonna sound like I'm preaching. We need to understand these more. Yeah. We we don't. We don't. I, I wish people understood how networks program and how uh, and how social media uses algorithms to determine what you're going to see next. Yeah. Because that
1: there's zero incentive for the media to teach that to us because yeah, we are, are what it was. It's the 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 the, uh, the um the movie says we are the product. I mean, yeah. we are ultimately just there for the advertisers to be made. You know, right to make their money. And it's pretty it's pretty scary, right, to see just how uh yeah. I mean, every every family uh, everywhere in the world yes. is now hooked on this. Yes. And, I should so so. Th- I told my children. I said, "Listen, I'm not expecting you to to to, to cancel your your your, right. your your accounts. I'm not expecting you to do any of this. You can have your phone, but I need you to know what's yeah. at work. You know, because clearly the guys who invented it want you to know too. Right? Just, you know, this is the best yeah. mechanism. Yeah. What's so like?
0: My wife and I had this conversation. If our kids turn 18 and they want to go do something that we would never have done, I would say let them do it. They're 18. They're adults. Now, if they live in our house, we get to impose some rules, but it's our job to teach them until they become adults. So they have a core set of values. So, um, it, what if your son wants to be a smoker at 18? I can't stop him. He's 18. He's an adult. I will tell him, I hope I've taught you what that means. So I realize right now I'm on a piece of social media telling people to be aware of social media. I'll say yep. this in the same way. I talk about food. I love pizza. I would never tell someone not to eat pizza. I would tell them not to eat it every day of the week. I would say, you might be in for some health complications if you do that. So here I am using social media to say, you know what? I don't think enough people understand how this is made and what might've brought you to watching this interview. The reason why you were brought to watching this interview is either A, because you're a subscriber to my channel or B, because you liked something and the algorithm said, oh, if you like that, Maybe you'll like this, and it put it in front of you. You selected a video that put you on a path to seeing another video. And without knowing it, you're creating a bubble of uh, stimulus, uh, of stimuli that is coming. And the algorithm is predicting what you're going to like next. It keeps you there. And as they say in the movie, at first they say you're the product, and they actually say, you know what? Actually, what they're selling is not you, it's what they think your behavior is going to be in the future. So we think based on all these choices you've made, you're now going to go here and uh, advertisers will pay for that information. They're actually selling the information of your behavior. And if an advertiser has that information or actually a, a media company has that information, then based on your behavior, they know exactly what products to put in front of you when you're on social media.
1: And and the scary thing is if you get to a point where uh oh, the 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 algorithm is realizing that you're enjoying being infuriating infuriated at a yes. certain subgroup, yeah, uh then it's gonna give you more, it's going to throw yes. fuel on that. Yeah. So you know, obviously the, 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 the example is the election yeah. where you 70 million people over here and 70 million people over here mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. each other's throats. And the algorithm is like, you like that. Here's more, here's more, here's yes. more. And I, the scary thing is that, and I think you and I are in agreement on this, that that's going to end. Somebody's going to get hurt.
0: Right. Somebody, yeah. somebody, somebody, somebody already somebody, has been,
1: but right. People already
0: have been. Yeah. I would say, be careful who you get angry at just in general, be careful who you get angry at. It's very easy to get angry at people that are presented to you in a certain way. Now, some of them have earned your scorn. Some people just objectively are doing things that are scornful. But much of it is a narrative. And that's why I'm not, I do find it to be asymmetrical. I think that there are certain things happening on one side that are a bit more unconscionable. This is my objective, well, my subjective experience of it. Um, But what I'm, yeah, I think what I want to get across to people is that If you are using this piece of technology and you decide to look at something that you find interesting, the technology is just going to run its algorithm and say, oh, if you like that, then I'm going to suggest more. And before you know it, you have determined. It's like reading the New York Times, the actual physical paper. And based on the article that you're reading, when you turn the page, what was there a minute ago has now changed to reflect what you were reading in real time, the news you're given, yeah, Yeah, the news you're given changes. Imagine reading a book, and based on the amount of time you spend on one paragraph or the other, the next page changes. And And so, yeah.
1: And and imagine a a world where people you have grown up with, family members, friends you've had for decades, and you're watching your opinions on things just go so far apart that you're looking at them thinking, how can you possibly say something that's stupid? do you hear yourself right and they're having the same reaction to me yeah and and you realize that's because we're no longer getting the same it's right. no longer Walter Cronkite saying here's what the information is here's what the information is yeah it's completely tailored different uh-huh. uh, at this point. And, and and that's a that's a it's a scary uh that's a scary thought that's it a, is
0: it is and like you said is the apparatus that's bringing us this information incentivized to do it responsibly I do not think so
1: course not because
0: right. they'll lose that. And it sounds like we're conspiracy theorists, but this is right. provable. It's empirically true that they use algorithms to determine what you like. That's right. why it's so successful. I like right. this. Give me more of it. Great. Every time I get on, I'm reliably its, given that's things. It,
1: that's its sole purpose of existing because it was, <laughs> it's there to monetize. It's there to make money for the company that's, that's, that's providing the service. So yeah. I, and the thing that the, the guy in the movie the 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 social uh, dilemma with yeah. the dreadlocks whose name escapes me and I wish I knew more of his work because I know that he's a, a very uh, a skilled uh, uh, a philosopher on this stuff yeah. But he, he, he basically his whole notion was like what happens when it becomes sentient what, yeah. what happens when it, it is intelligent enough to <laughs> to run the show that's that's kind of spooky especially because he like at that point, I remember, I don't know about you. I remember Chris Williams was the first guy to show me in a smartphone. I'd never seen one before. Oh, yeah, guess, in
0: the office, probably in the lobby. So, yeah, look what I
1: got. He showed it to me. And that was just yesterday. It feels like it was just yesterday. I know. And then I remember a few years later finding myself saying to myself, huh, I've noticed that I'm looking at my phone before I even engage with my wife in the morning yeah i don't know if i'm okay with that And i remember talking to my friend keith he goes yeah you need to look at that you need to be careful with that now it's just like now nah, forget about it genie's out of the bottle that's just like yeah. it's like what was it they said in the movie the, the, the question the question is whether you pick up the phone first or if you pee while looking at the phone
0: <laughs> i have found that happening and i used to say to my wife naively i thought i was coming across all sage but i was naive i said you know um The internet's just a tool. It's technology. It's just a tool. It's a thing. It's not bad. It's not good. It's a thing. And what they say in this movie is, imagine a tool like a hammer being able to say to you, pick me up, pick me (laughs) up, ding, ding, pick me up, because that's what your tool is doing to you. Notifications on your phone is saying, pick me up, look at me, look at me. And so that is where it becomes more than just a tool. It is a tool that understands you, that understands how to talk to you and promise you things. So I have done that in the morning. I've noticed that in the morning when my wife and I are awake, we sort of roll over and we grab our phones and we're getting up to date on what's happened in the last eight hours. So I have imposed um, a ritual on myself, and that is I'm not going to look at my phone until I'm at the breakfast table. Which means I'm going to get up, I'm going to do my stretch, hit the restroom, get the kids up, do everything I need to do so that I am now fully awake. And then I will let this thing into my head it's kind of like cigarettes
1: i don't know if you ever smoked but i remember Briefly. having that dialogue with myself when i was trying to quit smoking for you know the years that it took me to finally quit smoking just constantly coming up you know negotiating with myself and yeah. coming to new ways that i would i would do this and i think it's the same thing because i think it's a it's numbing it's similarly numbing uh, um uh, that, that I find like I do the same thing. I, I, yeah. I won't, I won't keep it in the bedroom. I won't this, that, the other thing. Uh, I, what's interesting is I think that it also ruins our circadian rhythm. Rid- people are not yeah. sleeping very well during this whole quarantine. Yeah. And I think it has something to do with it. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are burying ourselves in our phones and I yeah. think that's screwing our sleep off.
0: Yeah, it is because, um, if you're consistently like I had insomnia back around 03. And it led to me going to a cognitive behavioral therapist to work on it. And then Good basically work. it was, well, since we're under the hood, let's get to the rest of it. And four years later, then I was done. And that's so, okay. Now I've got, I've, I'm, I'm on Rich, my way. You, you, you didn't sleep well for four years? No, no, no. It, it took us about a month or two to knock that out. I, I had echoes of it over the next year. Occasionally I'd get into my head too much. But no, four years later, i had completely absorbed a system he taught me to approach my entire life. But like the insomnia wasn't coming from nowhere. It was coming from anxiety. The anxiety wasn't coming from nowhere. It was coming from the way I had led my life up to that point. The associations I made, the habits I had practiced, they were all backfiring at that point. They just weren't working very well anymore. Well, the insomnia, one of the first things I learned was if you sit there and you keep on stimulating yourself, either with a device or with a thought process, you're not going to sleep. You're keeping yourself awake. No matter how you do it, you need to get back into a rhythm. And one of the things you can do is put that phone down. Or if something's on your mind, tell yourself, here's how I'm going to deal with it. I'll write it down. Now I'll get in bed and I've dealt with it. Now I can let sleep come. It's a habit. But yes, if you are constantly stimulating yourself, then yeah, you're going to throw your rhythm off. And if you are giving yourself a reason to watch the next YouTube video or play one yeah. more game of this game, then you're not gonna get out of that chair and maybe go run for 30 minutes or maybe do some push-ups or- Once again,
1: once again structure or commitment saves the day. Yeah. I, I, I remember when I was going back to getting married, I, the, the the notion of uh, of that, that that commitment scared me. And, and the irony, of course, is like so many things, it ended up being the, the, the ultimate freedom in retrospect. Yeah that gave yeah the, it, i think that what you're describing is a structure yeah uh, uh, which i think is necessary especially in in this whole quarantine thing we've been left with so much uh um uh, yeah, so so much lack of so so much yeah. uh, up in the air so much uncertainty no wonder actually that i because i have had moments where i will wake up at three in the morning for weeks on end And I'll be wide awake.
0: Wide awake, (laughs) yeah. you
1: lay there for hours and you go, God, I'm going to have to be at work in an hour.
0: (laughs) I remember um, uh, something you said to me before I proposed to my wife. And it was something you shared about how you got to where you were in your life because you had already been married to your wife for 10 or 12 years. Something along those lines. And you said, I was just ready to turn that page and, and start a new chapter in my life. And I thought, that's actually a good way to look at it. Um, your life is a series of chapters. You don't do the exact same thing your whole life. I mean, what a boring life. And I thought, you know what? I was uh, 40 and I was so used to being single, so used to always living in my own rhythm. But I had always thought to myself, you know, I do want to have a wife. I do want to have kids if that's if I'm fortunate enough. But I have to be able to leave that other stuff behind And one good way of looking at it was, you know, you can just turn the page. It's time for a new chapter, isn't it? And one way that a person could look at these things that are happening to us is is something I tell myself occasionally is that life is a story. You don't get to write what happens to you, but you do get to be the main character and you get to decide how you respond to those events. So we're in a COVID chapter. And yeah, we we didn't get to write the development, but you do get to choose what your main character is going to do. And like you say, maybe imposing a little structure on ourselves wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Something we can say, I may not want to stop doing this right now, but I've already determined it's in my best interest if I do. So, I mean, it's been invaluable for me, but that's because I have a hyperactive brain. I'm easily distractible. So... I'm used to putting routines in my life because I know what happens if I don't. It's I go off the rails. I just I'll spend too much time in front of a screen. <laughs> I noticed the,
1: I noticed I noticed the light is going off outside the garage window. I we we've we've hooked up all these um we've hooked up all these lights and cameras because um uh we just had a couple break ins in the neighborhood. What's Uh-oh. fun is to wake up in the morning <laughs> This is the one thing Jocelyn and I do at the same time is we check the cameras and we see what kind of wildlife we've had running around outside. Is
0: it we coyotes rac- or peacocks?
1: I haven't seen any coyotes yet. Peacocks, raccoons, skunk, but we haven't seen any uh, coyotes. We hear the coyotes, but we haven't seen any yet. The night I was nominated for a daytime Emmy and I did not win. So if there's anything worse than losing an Emmy, it's losing on Zoom. Oh, but um, yeah. I had out this window... <laughs>
0: There was a person with a statue, right?
1: There there was a yeah, there was a raccoon staring at me. And I thought, okay, this is just going even lower at this point. But the the after party is
0: a raccoon
1: (laughs) staring at me through the window.
0: I saw that somebody put that up on Twitter is that when you're nominated for an Emmy and it's Zoom, they have to send someone over there to stand there with a stand in Emmy in case you win in a hazmat suit. And if you lose, the, the stand-in and the hazmat suit outside this person's window went, and they that, leave. That, <laughs> and they said, this is what happens when you lose an Emmy during COVID. That must have been the prime time, guys.
1: They didn't do that for the day. They didn't
0: do that for you? Okay.
1: I, I did a player reading once with Eric McCormick, and uh, it, the, the piano player had an Emmy, the director had an Emmy, and Eric had an Emmy. And I said, I was nominated for an Emmy. And, he goes, and Eric goes, oh, yeah, really? And I said, yeah, well, for all my children. He goes, oh, that's a daytime Emmy. Those are so cute. Thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you for being charming and condescending at the same time. I have an Emmy certificate on my wall because of The Simpsons, which I did not know existed. I did not know. I know that if you get nominated, they send you a certificate. of uh, This is your proof that you were nominated, right? Mm-hmm. So... For this, because I had a uh, I had a part in the episode that won for best animated series, they submitted an episode, and so I was thrilled when the show won. And I thought, ah, eh, great, great for the team, great for everybody that worked on it. That's wonderful. And then they said, oh yeah, you're you're getting a frame certificate. I thought, really? Because yeah, you were in the final cast list for the episode. So I have this thing up on the wall, and I treat it like it's an Emmy. It's like, look, this is as close as I'm gonna get.
1: Good looking certificate. Sure. Yeah, it's a
0: damn good looking. It's right next to my you know, Simpson cells.
1: It probably won't be the last <laughs> uh, a certificate. That I, well,
0: you never know. You never know. One can only hope. So anyway, uh, James Patrick Stewart, this is awesome catching up with you because it's COVID. We don't actually get to hang out. Yeah, it's been a lot, and um, it's just nice to see that you're still. The, well, first of all, you look exactly the same. So as I don't know how that happens. I mean. Yeah, I know you decided to start doing CrossFit, and now you're in amazing shape, too. Uh, I, so.
1: uh, I, I had to keep up with my son. My 14-year-old looks like Tarzan, honest to God. He yep. works out like a fiend. And uh, that I was, yeah, I, I, it helps if you're going to work on daytime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah, a lot of ugly people on daytime that you don't have to worry about how he you said, look. Huh? He
1: said, as he goes out the room to go get two barbecued uh, beef sandwiches from Pit, Chaps, uh, Pit Barbecue in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, that's the they, only
0: thing I would want to do. Is like, Would you ever want to be young again? Only for the metabolism. I don't <laughs> want to repeat any of my other mistakes. But the metabolism, eating a pizza and not weighing an ounce heavier the next day? Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he,
1: yeah eating being able a chance to eat my way across natchez mississippi with impunity would have would mean a lot to me that's also that <laughs> and i went there when we were pregnant she said i said listen she's you got all these cravings let's let's go somewhere so uh, we flew down and we went to natchez mississippi and we literally ate ourselves silly yeah and we could get away with it in those days and, yeah What the best is when you go to this restaurant and the chef comes out and he's so fat he can't walk. He's on one of those electric scooters. You're like,
0: he's on a rascal.
1: (laughs) Yes.
0: This is going to be so good, baby. So good. Do you know what his blood sugar probably is? (laughs) Uh, That's good eating right there. As a a son of the deep south, if you're going to have cravings, get yourself to the south. Oh, they'll feed you.
1: Oh yeah. No, Best please. bacon. I have bacon that thick. Oh my God. I, I, yeah. But I could never, we'd never be able to do it. I'd go back there and I would be, I would be hospitalized in that afternoon. I mean, my stomach <laughs> would be doing all sorts of cartwheels. Yeah. And-
0: portion management. It's an actual thing, folks. Look it up. It exists. <laughs> it exists. Cheat days. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So brother, Thank you for having me. This was ah, so much fun. To my pleasure. Great catching up with you and uh hopefully we'll hopefully I'll see you out in the world one of these days. Yeah, one of these days. One All right. These days. Be well. All right.